1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have more guests that I am extremely excited for this week. I've wanted to have them on the, the program for years, even before they wrote this book that I'm really excited to talk about. Um, I will introduce them one at a time. So we have um, a grandmaster who's twice been the champion of Great Britain. He writes book reviews for New in Chess magazine. Somehow he's also an IT professional. Um and at the age of 44, somehow also, he's at, at his peak rating. So, hopefully, we'll get to touch on all of that. But that would be Grandmaster Matthew Sadler. Thanks for joining us, Matthew.
2: A pleasure. Thanks very much.
1: And of course, we have Natasha Regan, the co author of this book, which I will discuss in a minute. She is a woman international master. She has a mathematics degree from Cambridge. She's also an actuary. Um, not sure if I'm qualified to be interviewing you two, but I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> so, Natasha, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. And, of course, the occasion for this interview is this incredible book, Game Changer, Alpha Zero's Groundbreaking Chess Strategies and the Promise of AI. I have been, I managed to get my hands on a copy thanks to Forward Chess's app, and I've been tearing through it in anticipation of this interview, although, of course, I wanted to read it anyway. Um, this is the most anticipated chess book I can remember, really. And it did not disappoint, as I as I briefly mentioned to you guys. I mean, it's, um, oh, I mean, fantastic. there's... There's just so much, so much fascinating stuff. I mean, I, I'm interested in the behind-the-scenes stuff, but the the actual chess content is just incredibly groundbreaking. Uh, in the introduction to the book, Gary Kasparov, uh, let me find the quote. He says, uh, "Chess has been shaken to its roots by AlphaZero, which I think, from a results perspective, is true. But I was glad to see also it's from a from a gameplay perspective, um, from from what we can learn from it. So. Of course, we'll get to that, but I thought that the, the proper thing for us to start with, and I saw that you guys discussed this a little bit with uh, G.M. Jan Gustafson and Peter Svidler when, Matthew, you uh, did a quick hit with them um, a few days ago during their broadcast, but, um, and you also talk about it in the book a little bit, but why don't you tell our listeners how this project came about, and whoever wants to go first, go right ahead.
0: Sure. Um, Matthew and I had written a book previously, which was called Chess for Life, and uh, that was a book about um, different chess players and how, as they get older, how their um, view of chess changes and how they stay motivated. And we interviewed about 10 top players, um, ages 40, 50, 60 and above, um, about how they still like the game. And uh, we also analysed their their chess games. So um, in December 2017, then the AlphaZero paper came out and Matthew and I happened to be at the London Chess Classic, big London tournament. And uh, we were very excited about this, particularly because uh, that Alpha Zero had actually taught itself how to play chess and it was the first time a computer had ever been so strong taught itself how to play chess uh, and everyone there was just talking about these games and, um, and Matthew was looking at the games and he was just absolutely fascinated by the style of the games and the attacking nature of the games and I was thinking wow we could do that same sort of idea about a book on AlphaZero, it would work really well, sort of the the background interest story, how the computer worked, um, interviews with the people that made it, as well as talking about the chess. Um, We were very lucky that that we both knew Demis Asabis, he's the CEO of DeepMind, and we'd both known him as a junior chess player. He was a very strong junior chess player. and so we at the, the dinner to close that London chess classic, we approached Demis with our idea, gave him a copy of our, our uh, book, Chess for Life. And he said he wasn't sure whether we'd be able to write a book, but um, he'd take it away, read it and he'd see. And um, he, he read the book, really liked it and uh, agreed that we could write a book about Alpha Zero. So we're absolutely delighted. And that's that's how it all came about.
1: Well, the chess world is uh, is very fortunate and very grateful that both that you guys had this idea and that that Dennis was on board with it. Um, Deep Mind, of course, now being a, a subsidiary of uh, of Google, there in London. And I also just, as an aside, wanted to mention that that I'm I'm a fan of uh, Chess for Life. It's um, we talk a lot on oh, this podcast. So we've got a lot of adult listeners, of course. I mean, most most people listening to podcasts are adults, so we have a lot of hardcore chess fan adults who of course are still trying to improve at chess so um, in fact we have a series called adult improvers uh kind of in the same vein Mm -hmm. as what you guys do where every once in a while i interview someone who's shown a lot of progress so that book on its own is um is is quite inspiring for a lot of our listeners but but of course we don't want to bury the lead i mean game changer is uh is is what's in the news and it's what's revolutionizing chess so um so getting back to that so once you knew that this project once you had the green light what was what was the next step
2: uh go yeah i mean uh go, go for it, natasha
0: okay so uh next we had um we were given access to games that hadn't been published so at the time there were uh, 10 games that had been published um and um at the time, people were saying um, that the, the settings so, so this was in an initial paper, and people were saying the settings that Stockfish use weren't the most optimal ones for Stockfish. Um, so DeepMind wanted to go back and play a new match with the, the kind of official settings, so they used settings that were in line with um, the TSEC World Championship, played a new match, um, and also had a whole lot of games in order to make a peer-reviewed paper. So that's a, a kind of more official and, and peer-reviewed paper that, um, that eventually came out in December 2018. Um, so, so we had these games. We couldn't tell anybody about it because uh, everything has to be kept completely confidential when it goes through to a peer review paper. Um, and so Matthew started playing through these games and um, finding themes from Alpha Zero's play. And um, do you want to tell the story about how you um, yeah. how you enjoyed yeah. the
2: games? Yeah, so it was. Um, so I mean, you know, when I, when I went to uh, uh, to have a look at the games, first of all, um, uh, I was I had kind of mixed feelings. You know, I mean, um, you're a chess fan, of course. You know, first and foremost, so uh, I mean, you want everything that's to do with your game. You want it to be wonderful. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I mean, you're used to, you know, to normal engine against engine games. And, you know, I was kind of expecting to see a few interesting games, but, um, you know, nothing, um, nothing consistently, you know, fantastic. I thought there'd be a lot of, uh, of boring games in between them. And, um, you know, I played through the first 10 games. and I was, you know, thinking, oh, that's quite interesting. That's that's pretty good. And then there's just, uh, you know, just a, a couple of games that uh, that came along just in that series. And uh, um, yes, you know, I think probably about the 11th or the 12th game. And I, I started thinking, wow, you know, what's what's going on here? And then, uh, you know, at one stage, I just burst out laughing. I mean, there <laughs> I was in my little room at, uh, at Deep Mind, you know, and uh, laughing to myself. I hope nobody saw it. But, you know, just thought, you know, Zero is a lunatic simply. You know <laughs> yes, what I mean? just giving away these 3 4 pawns you know and just uh, going you know huge on the initiative and um and you know I mean that that makes a tremendous you know tremendous uh, I don't know it has a big emotional impact on you actually and uh, and then after now, after about 20, 25 games, I thought, you know, wait, stop. Wait a minute. You know, I'm, I'm already, I'm, you know, I'm seeing patterns. I'm, I'm recognizing things that AlphaZero seems to do consistently. You know, and then I, I went back and I started making databases, you know, uh, as I was working of, uh, oh, this theme, Rooks, Pawn, Advance. Uh, he seems to be targeting the king and all that. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we refined that an awful lot later. But, um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, straight away from the word go, I mean, you, you can just pick things out, you know, huge, big themes you know, that, um, uh, that that were really striking. And I think, you know, that sort of emotion and that sort of uh, feeling of, wow, but these things just jump out at you. Um, from the chess point of view, you know, that's why we really thought we could write, you know, a really nice book, you know, just uh, and a book that people could learn from as well. Because, you know, if the theme struck me with such force and uh and if you know if i felt they were so so easy to pull out then uh, you know we were sure we could explain them to uh, you know to a very broad audience you know and uh and um yeah and i mean it, it only got better basically you know the more games you played through the more the more fantastic it got and uh, you know i mean in in all those 210 games the 210 games that were released um i mean you know there's just so many wonderful wonderful games
1: yeah it's incredible and you guys do do a really good job like uh highlighting the themes because i, I i'm sure that you know um they're easier for, for players of, of your strength to to pick up on than, than someone else might be able might have more trouble tying them together. And it's nice that you have the little historical comparisons uh, to different players. And I know that you guys uh, mentioned this in your book, but for listeners who haven't haven't gotten to the book yet, and hopefully listeners, you guys you guys all sh- all should buy this. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, who? What players would you compare? Uh, would you compare Alpha Zero to what players in history?
0: I think there's, a, there's a, a few that we we like to compare Alpha Zero to. Um, one of them's is Kasparov, um, and his his kind of really attacking games, and and so the way Alpha Zero goes very directly out for the attack reminds us of Kasparov. Um, another one is um, is Magnus Carlsen as well, um, and the way Alpha Zero kind of can understand a position. And um, and make a lot of a, of a small edge and uh, make its pieces go on on kind of just feeling where are the good squares for its pieces, and um, we've got comparisons throughout. So other players are Anand and Karpov, Um Botvinnik. Botvinnik, yeah, yeah.
2: Botvinnik's a yeah. Botvinnik's a really nice one, actually. Uh, um, I mean, I, I got. Um, um, actually, funnily enough, you know, studying AlphaZero's Zero's games, I got really into Botvinnik uh, um, again because uh, I really felt that the way that he built up his position as white, you know, often uh, playing these systems where you fix the centre in order to play on the wings, um, this was very, very typical of, uh, of Alpha Zero's play with um, play with white. And uh, it's quite nice, uh, uh, you know, as, as well, that because, uh, well, Bob Vinnick, you know, in the 1960s, he was busy trying to build um, a computer that could teach itself. I right. mean, that was his that was his great goal. And then, you know, you look at the, his games and the way he built up his games. We we quote a few in the in in the book. And, uh, you know, you really are struck by, uh, you know, this, this approach that uh, that really mirrors Alpha Zeros in, uh, in a number of games. And, um, and, yeah, I mean, it's nice that you mentioned the, the historical perspective because um, that was the thing that was striking us all the time um, that you know there's there's some element that that alpha zero is um you know rediscovering what uh what humans have discovered and uh, you know when you're playing through its games it you know all these little lights go off in your head of oh wait a minute that reminds me of that or this or that and then at the same time of course there's all the new stuff and the you know the enormous energy and drive and uh, uh with which you know alpha zero implements a lot of these plans as well so uh it's a it's a mixture of um recognition and discovery
1: yeah, it really is. And Natasha, you told a funny story in the book. Maybe you could tell it for our audience of uh, of you trying to implement some of the, some of the things uh, some of the things yeah, that Alpha it was, Zero taught.
0: It, it was it was great fun actually uh, trying out some of these themes in my games, and um, I was I was playing these games without being able to tell anyone that I was working on Alpha Zero at all, and um, and of course as we were putting the chapters together, we were doing them really one by one. And so, at the start, uh, one of the first chapters we did was the chapter on the h pawn, and the, uh, the way alpha zero pushes its h pawn right up, so for white, right up to h6, puts it close to the opponent's king. Um, and actually, by the stage, I'd been looking at, at just that chapter. I thought I'd still try it out in my games. And, um, and and actually, it was, I did get some really fun games like that. Um, but I didn't manage to quite do it with the whole rest of the strategy about keeping the center closed and good mobility pieces and whatever. So I played this H-pawn very enthusiastically. Uh, but it didn't always work. And um, and at the end of the game, my opponent was, would say, oh, you played your H-pawn too early there. Right. Um, it's weakening your king. And you're like, I really want to tell you why I played that H-pawn. <laughs> right
1: yeah it's great shout out to uh harry the h pawn and simon williams alpha yeah, zero, alpha yeah. zero is a huge fan uh, it's it's really ah. it's shocking to see it actually, yes.
0: do, it, it, it actually it um it is amazing sometimes when you get to positions i've had it in quite a few games recently where you get to a position and you're not quite sure what to do next and then suddenly you remember about this h-pawn and actually it turns out to be a really good move you hadn't thought of it's it is amazing
1: yeah it really leaves an imprint in the brain i was also i was looking at a game earlier today and just the pawn was on g6 so there's a hook so my the first thing i'm looking at is throwing the h-pawn up the board and it's you know the book is uh it's so detailed that it's the kind of book where I read it once and I just feel like I need to read it again right away. Um, <laughs> I mean, how much... So you guys both work full-time. Um, how ha, how have you managed to, uh, to turn this out? Like, how have you managed to find the time to do it?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, looking back, I think we both wonder that, too. You know, yeah. um, it's... Um, but, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it was... I think it's that this was our project. You know, this was something that we really wanted to do. And when you've got that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of passion for uh, for something, um, you know, and uh, somehow the time just you seem to put in the time, and, and you don't really mind. But uh, but looking back on it, I think we must have spent, you know, all our spare time in the evenings and all our weekends for uh, yeah, for for a very long period of time, six seven months, you know, just on Zero games and uh, mm-hmm. and putting this together and thinking about it and uh, and all of that so yeah it's been um it's been a you know a, a, um a big effort you know and uh, i suppose you know when you you always have that little feeling when you look back and you think oh well you know um i re- i remember now how much work it is i'll never do that again you know but uh, but then you find another project that fascinates you and uh, and you're off again you know but uh, but i mean it was an incredibly stimulating and exciting project to do, you know, with, uh, and, uh, you know, talking to all sorts of, you know, talented engineers and super bright people with great ideas. You know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a great project.
1: Yeah. yeah you- Sorry, go ahead, Natasha.
0: <clears throat> yeah, really exciting project, And um, <clears throat> actually work were really good because they did let me have a little bit of extra time off as well. I said, I don't know doing this uh, project, writing a book. And, and um, so they were very supportive and, um, but it was it was uh, like you'd rush home and you and you'd 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 want to get back to and working on the book and um and making improvements and um yeah, it was just a really fun time.
1: Yeah, and Matthew mentioned you mentioned earlier uh going into a little room to actually see AlphaZero and of course your your videos analyzing the the Carlson Caruana match uh with AlphaZero kind of kind of went viral. They made quite a splash in the chess world. So could you uh, lift the curtain a little more like what was your access to the actual computer? Like what
2: was the nature of that? Well, um there were two different things actually that we uh, that we did. So um um first of all um you know, we we got all the um all the games and started analyzing them and um, well we could just uh, we had, the uh, you know, a couple of the technicians were uh, were at our disposal um, and we could just ask them to provide complete trees of analysis from AlphaZero from certain positions. So, um, uh, you know, that, that and that's absolutely fantastic. You know, you have the evaluation, the main lines, all the lines it's considered. And you just get this beautiful overall view of what AlphaZero thought of the position. And, you know, sometimes you've got a tree and then you said, oh, um, the move I was thinking of wasn't in there. So could you send me another one? And we've uh, got masses and masses of those. Uh, of those trees so I mean that was uh, that was fantastic Um, and then during the world championship uh, they um, just because um, obviously you know things were sort of happening uh, real time so uh, it wasn't really convenient just to keep on producing those trees like that Um, they sort of gave us um, um, yeah Online access is a bit like having, uh, you know, a chess engine in chess base. you know, simply that uh, that we, you know, whilst um, uh, Magnus and, uh, and Fabiano were playing, we just had um, um, we just saw the main line that uh, AlphaZero was considering with a um, with an evaluation Okay, you know, and, uh, and that was uh, and that was during the during the World Championship. It's um, I, mean, I love the trees. To be honest, that that really appeals. Yeah, to and, me there, and the there's some part, of that you know, in the but, book.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, you guys go uh, yeah. very detailed explanations. Um, it, it's it's interesting to see. So, have you guys been in the same room as AlphaZero? Have you? Uh, have you seen the machine itself?
2: No, that's some, somewhere somewhere else in a, in a data center somewhere. You know, th- so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, we've seen, uh,
1: seen
0: it on the screen. Yeah, yeah. So we seen the the
1: output from it. Okay, that's funny cuz it's so like of course it was even more shrouded in mystery before this book, but there's still that that element still remains.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a computer and it lives in a data center and yeah. uh, you know you access it through uh through uh you know through a client and uh through a, through a program and it, and it shows you the output. You know, it's uh, I mean yeah, it would it would the uh um, I mean, I, I'm an IT guy, you know. So, uh, he, yeah, people always, you know, like the idea of going to the data center and seeing lights flashing, but uh, but actually, you don't see that much, really. It's the it's the output that's uh, that's uh, that's the important thing. Okay.
0: During during the World Championships, we did um, show one or two journalists the, the screen with Alpha Zero on, um, but it does, to be honest, it looks like like it's it's it does look like um, if you had uh, Stockfish or one of the other engines there, so it, it okay. shows its then. Yeah. yeah
1: and you guys mentioned uh the need to keep this project a secret, speaking of showing journalists, so how hard was that to 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 walk around with this secret for for seven months or or however long it was exactly
0: well there were there were lots of things we were very excited about and and of course um people like like say on our chess teams then people were talking about alpha zero all the time and um and and coming up with ideas and and so it was quite hard to to not say anything about
2: it yeah yeah. It's, uh, I mean the, the worst thing was you know spending your whole weekend doing stuff and then your colleagues ask you so what have you been doing and you say <laughs> oh nothing much you know it's uh that was just uh that was a bit uh a bit a little bit uh a little bit sad you know but uh but yeah i mean um um you know the, the this the scientific paper that uh, the deepmind was releasing in you know in 2018 december that was just super important for them you know and uh, yeah. and you know for that confidentiality is is, is important you know so uh, so you know of course we uh, we uh, we did our best to uh, to 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 work with that
0: yeah, it was quite you, nice having two of us working on it because then we could at least talk to each other. <laughs> that, yeah,
1: that's a good point. Yeah, and then the, the the build up from when it when your project was announced, or at least to like uh, when I found out about it, to it being released was was pretty quick. It seemed like. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I heard about it, like you say, probably in December. And then all of a sudden, at first, uh, there was a March. The book was going to come out in March, and then it was coming out. And here we are in January. And by the way, uh, listeners, as I said, it's available on Forward Chess and available on New and Chess's site. I'm not sure if Amazon in the U.S. has it yet, but um, but you can you can get it now for sure. So, But yeah, I'm glad that you guys were able to, to get it out there so quickly.
0: Yeah, we were always, we were sort of trying to get it out as as quickly as we could after the paper had been released. So um, so that was our, our sort of on your marks, get set, go. Yeah. Um. Okay, well, let's okay. get a little more
1: into its chess play. Um, some of this we've already answered, but I do want to ask the question of a supporter of the podcast um, because uh, I, I give the opportunity for for people who support the show to send in questions to listeners. And here we have the the mysterious Moon Master Nine Thousand. This is one of our more mysterious sub, uh, supporters. But uh, um, is some of these some. Some of his question we've answered, but we'll just let you guys tackle it. Uh, he says early on, most chess players are taught that pieces have a n- have a numeric value, which leads many players to play very rigidly and mathematically. Was Alpha Zero taught the numeric value of the pieces? He asked because he sees the way it sacrifices for positional gain and has doubts that humans have assigned value to the pieces of Alpha, like programs at Alpha Zero.
0: Yeah. So Alpha Zero wasn't taught any human knowledge like the value of pieces at all. So it was taught the rules and it knows, you know, when it's checkmate or, or when the game's over and who's won. Uh, but it, it wasn't taught anything like a pawn's one and a knight's three or anything like that. So it had a freedom to be able to assess that kind of thing for itself, but it feels like maybe it, you know, it's hard to know whether it puts a value on the pieces. Um, but it does look at its chance of winning the game or drawing the game from any given position so it feels like there are some points where the material is less important than for example having an open line or having a uh, really good attacking potential or good mobility for its pieces um so so we're kind of thinking it, it probably doesn't assign values in exactly the same way that that we might or um and 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 that might and as the questioner says it it does kind of anchor us as humans to thinking of this value of pieces, and it, it probably does make it harder for us to um, to sacrifice pieces like that.
1: Yeah, and you guys lay out uh, sort of four precepts of uh, how Alpha works in the book: uh, learning rather than being programmed, general rather than specific, okay. grounded rather than logic based, and active rather than passive. Which the fourth one is is very striking when you when you see the games.
2: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's incredible to see. And one other topic I definitely want to get to is of course AlphaZero's openings. Um I mean that's something that was was fascinating to see because here it is figuring out chess on its own. So, um Matthew, could you could you tell us a little bit about some of the discoveries that that you uncover in studying the openings that AlphaZero chose?
2: Yeah, I mean it's um I mean the first thing that uh, that everyone notices knows is that um you know from with the white pieces AlphaZero um likes either one knight f3 or, or one d4, you know, and, uh, and, uh, rather than one e4. I mean, the difference is not huge. I mean, uh, it's just, you know, it prefers it by a, a percentage point or, or something, but, uh, it does prefer d4 knight f3, and I think this reflects very well um, actually at you know current the current feeling at the world top um and also the flexibility that it gives because you know with one knight f3 you can transpose into d4 so um that, that's really a, a lovely flexible thing and having options having choice is something that uh you know alpha zero seems to like very very much um i mean and what you see is that you know alpha zero's openings there essentially they're very classical and um, they're really, you know, um, aimed at, at, at good, solid, rapid development. Um, I mean, it plays, uh, you know, D4, C4, Knight F3. And then against the Queen's Indian, for example, there's this 4G3 system that it plays uh, very, very well. Um, it also um uh, but whenever um whenever there's a um, a chance to um i, I don 't know increase the tempo then um it never seems to afraid to be to, to do it so for example you know it plays the Botvinnik system against the semislav with uh, with great pleasure and uh, and also um you know the anti moscow gambit so semislav is d four d five c four c six knight f three knight f six knight c three e six and it just goes right in there with bishop chief. Five, d takes c four. E four is the Botvinnik system, and h six bishop h four. D takes c four. E four is the uh, is the anti Moscow gambit. And, uh, you know, it plays these with um, with great panache, actually. So uh, and that's the nice thing about Alpha Zero. You know, it builds up its position. But as soon as it thinks, oh, I've got a chance now to accelerate and really get into uh, into the opponent's position, then it takes it. And, um, and if you look at the spread of openings, they play certainly as white. I mean, it's a, it's a really great repertoire. You know, it's really a repertoire that you'd say uh, this is a real world class repertoire that I think people should copy and then with black um, yeah I mean 1-E4 1-E5 is it's uh, favourite opening you know very classical and uh, it ends up playing the Berlin defence as well uh, in in the Rai Lopez so uh, looks like Kramnik was right all along (laughs) no Um, surprise there uh, yeah, actually, I mean, you know, when, when you think, uh, there's one thing about the Berlin that's always puzzled me is that, you know, it was first played around 1896 by uh, by Pillsbury. And then afterwards, Tarasch played uh, a few games as well and did, uh, uh, Emmanuel Lasker played a game uh, as well, did extremely well, you know, and uh, you always think, I wonder why they didn't, you know, persevere with that opening because uh, they had great results against strong players, you know, but somehow we had to wait, you know, 100 years before, uh, before Kramnik came back with it. Um, and then um, against 1d4, it um, yeah, it tends to play some sort of nimzo-Indian or the ragazin, actually, if uh, if white goes uh, d4, knight f6, c4, e6, knight f3. tends to play uh, d5, knight c3, and bishop b4, or bishop e7. Um, it's got quite a few openings uh, against 1d4 that it seems to consider to be the same. Um, I mean, to be honest, the, the most fascinating thing about it is when you force alpha-0 to play... Um, well, openings it considers less sound uh, because it it plays those pretty well as well. I mean, in the book we've got a couple of uh, well, we've got a fantastic uh, King's Indian Samish um, variation, you know, which is uh, real Kasparov style uh, with Black, I have to say. And um, and you know, we also did a video on uh on a really great uh, Leningrad Dutch game, you know. So. Um, uh, it's um, I mean, it really is a, a, a such an attack, active attacking player. You really think, oh, we should maybe get it to play, uh, you know, some of these more aggressive openings uh, sooner. But in terms of what it would like to play itself, it it always goes for these uh, very classical, very solid openings where it develops its pieces, gets its king to safety, very important for Alpha Zero, and then starts looking around to, uh, you know, to start uh, encroaching. And with with white, it finds yeah, an incredible a number of ways of injecting you know these um this um attacking impetus into a lot of quiet openings i mean uh, i've never seen so many pushes of the h pawn in in g3 queens indians as in alpha zeros games you know it's uh but it's it's a, it's a it's a very very good solid you'd actually say well thought out repertory you know uh with uh with both white and black
1: yeah, and the statistics that you guys share about like how often it throws the h pawn up the board and about like the the ways that it constricts the the enemy's king so that it's not just sort of anecdotal there there's actual stats about the sort of uh qualitative differences in the way that it's approaching chess. It's it's super interesting. So, I mean, as a as a strong player, I mean, you mentioned you guys talk a little bit in the book about how this is of course likely to filter through to how how people play chess both like you know club level players um and of course other professionals so have you guys been having any uh in your travels uh you know stopping by um weekend z and stuff like that have you had professionals pull you aside and ask for for um like advance advice sort of stuff
2: yeah, we've had a we've had a few we've had a few uh, you know little conversations. But um I mean I think it's all it's all still all quite new now. You know, I think uh, probably once the, the, the book comes out then uh, more and more people will get uh, will get into it. I think um um, you know, I mean, you know, 210 games were released, and I think that's that's a hell of a lot of games actually. And uh, I think it's um, it can be a little bit overwhelming for uh, for people, you know, to to find their way amongst the games. And uh, I think what uh, what we're hoping our book does is just to uh, put, you know, just to uh, take that body of games and just show everyone. But wait a minute it's actually you know really clear and easy and simple this is what alpha zero does you know these general themes in all sorts of different positions and i think with those themes to guide you suddenly you know the whole thing makes sense so um uh, yeah i mean we're really hoping that uh, well that uh, well i mean we, we'd love it i mean uh, you know if, uh, if people keep on coming to us and talking to us about alpha zero
1: yeah and i think they will be i saw that magnus carlson said that he he went through the book on his rest day um <laughs> In, yeah, in and Zee, yeah. So. he
0: and described I, it as quite inspirational so that was lovely
1: yeah that that was great and i know that uh the the Mag- magnus's team peter hein Nielsen and uh Jan Gustafsson and uh Lawrence Fresenay when they did the videos they did for chess 24 little behind the scenes stuff they were always referencing alpha zero whenever they had a chance as well in terms of uh what it said about uh, um, uh, you know a given position uh, as yep. they they go through the match. So yeah, it'll be really interesting. I'm a little worried that the Berlin's going to become even more popular, but but what can you do?
0: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I'd say relating to this is um, about the the themes and the, the strategies that um, you might not have heard them before, but then when you do, they they become quite easy to understand. So the one I was thinking about today was um a recurring theme is is about exchanging off the the very active pieces of the opponent, so when alpha zero gets a plus it doesn't necessarily sort of continue trying to blast through with an attack it can just take that it's it's better there and exchange off the active pieces leave the opponent with the passive pieces and and then just win it that way so much more quietly it looks like it's going to be um a huge attacking game all the way through. It attacks for somewhat, and then does just this sort of quiet exchanging. And and you can imagine incorporating that into your own game quite easily. And um, and 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 that it just would work.
2: Yeah, it's very patient. Huh. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean uh, the the best example of what Natasha's is describing is um is a game we called actually we gave all the game names. You know, we were quite inspired by uh, by Bobby Fischer's sixty memorable games, and, uh, and the one that the real great example of, of what Natasha's referring to is uh, a game called Python squeeze where um, alpha zero builds up this massive attack on the king side and uh, stockfish reshuffles its pieces and has a, a king on g8 and a rook on h8 because it looks like Alpha zero is right, gonna open yeah. the h style and then afterwards alpha zero just uh, exchanges off um, all the uh, the uh, all stockfish's pieces on the queen side, leaves it with a rook on h8, and then just invades on the queen side, you know, it's, uh, and just leaves it there basically. You know, it's a wonderful strategy, really wonderful uh, strategy, great, great fun to watch.
1: Yeah, that game was incredible. And and listeners, um, as a I, I'm a podcast fan myself, so sometimes I uh, I listen, you know, I'll listen to an author talking about a book on a podcast, and then feel like I I don't need to buy the book. That's uh, clearly not the case with this one. You you guys have to see these games. Um, so do you have a sense of uh uh if any more games will be released or I know what AlphaZero's uh future plans are
2: Yeah we don't um I mean we're not DeepMind employees so no those are sort of things that um you know that, that we hear you know just uh, when when uh, when DeepMind you know sort of uh, thinks has an idea of what it wants to do i mean um uh i mean the thing about DeepMind is that they've always got you know loads and loads of projects and new stuff coming along i mean i don't know whether you saw last thursday was it it seems years ago but i think it was last thursday and uh, there was this huge thing about starcraft 2 you know and uh, yeah and and this huge demonstration and uh, you know i mean there's always things things going along i mean I think at the end of the day, you know, the chess is is it's a science project for um, for, uh, for 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 DeepMind. And they you know, they've got their goal of where they want to be having this general purpose algorithm that can tackle any sort of problems, you know. Um, uh, and, you know, if if they think that um, that chess, you know, could still help. Then uh, then they'll have a look at chess, and uh, if they think, oh well, it's time to go on to other things, and uh, that'll help us better to achieve their goal, and then they'll do that, you know. But uh, I mean, the one nice thing is that you know Demis Sabis is uh, you know he's a chess player when he was young, and he's a big chess fan, so uh, you know that's always uh, that's always something, you know. But um, but yeah, I mean we'll have to we'll have to see, you know, we'll have to see what the uh, what the future brings. But um, I mean, f- for the moment, you know, with the with the games that have been released and all that, I mean there's a there's a real treasure trove to explore so uh, i think we still got uh still got loads to do with uh with what's been released already you know before we start uh we start running out of ideas
1: yeah we sure do i know in the in the conclusion you say my conception and understanding of chess has been altered and immeasurably enriched by this process and, we're, yeah. we're, and we're talking about a top 50 player here so that that's uh that's that's something um so do you guys have time to talk about uh chess for life a little bit oh yeah always. Okay. Cause yeah, it's, um, as I said, it's, uh, it's of, of, of great interest to our listeners. So, um, so chess for life was written for a couple of years ago in which they interview, uh, adult players who are still, still competing, um, from the, you know, I would say from the 2000 level on up the actual players. I mean, of course, and going back and looking at some, some historical examples like Capablanca as well. Um, so if you were to, to distill it, into actionable advice for for people with a limited amount of time who are really really trying to um, to to reach new heights in chess. What what can they do?
0: There was there was um, one really lovely interview in the book um, with a guy called Terry Chapman, um, and he had been a, a company CEO. So he had been played chess as a kid. He gave up um and then took it up again and he took a a very logical and thought out approach to how he would improve and um and he came up with some lovely advice so one piece of advice which was really nice was um if you're playing through games um say say you pick up games from chess base or something then play through a game of a very strong player against a player who's quite a bit weaker because if you play if you look at games with two players of the same strength then um sometimes the the, the real strategy you, you can't it's a bit obscured because the other player can defend against it and um and and so you can't quite see what's going on. But if you look at the players where there's a difference in strength, then um the the strong player will will kind of get the strategy that that they want to get um and and so you can see much clearly the strategic pattern of the game so i thought that was really nice particularly if you're studying a particular opening something like that then you can look at the top games and then and then this one where there's a rating difference um another a, a different player keith arkel he always liked to watch um, rapid play games and it was actually for a similar type of reason in that people can't calculate all the tactics so fast so again they tend to they can be quite strategic games and you can see that happening at speed um, over the boards um, Another thing several of the players uh, thought was to play at places where you enjoy going to that place. So when you're a kid, you will play anywhere as long as you get some competitive chess. Um, when you're uh, mature players, they, they want to play somewhere where they're going to be happy in the surroundings, nice space, nice place they want to go to. And, and that did seem to be a theme of, of quite a lot of the players, even the ones who are still professional. Can you think of some more, Matthew?
2: Um, yeah, I mean the um, uh, talking about the Terry Chapman thing about you know looking at um, strong players against weak players. What Terry also said was that um, um, he always wanted to. So he was around uh, you know twenty two hundred, 2200, twenty two fifty, and he always thought you know well obviously players rated around twenty three hundred are going to cause me problems. But it's so great if he then gets you know Gelfand playing uh, players that rated twenty three hundred, Michael Adams playing. Um, players rated 2300, and he can see those players getting beaten, and that gives him great deal of confidence in order to uh, to play them afterwards. Um, so it was, uh, and there's a lot of people who had tricks like that. I mean, uh, Ingrid Lauterbach, the uh, the German women's international, she said uh, always she uh, she plays through uh, through games um, uh, of her opponent that uh, they've lost. You know, she always plays through those just before she uh, she starts the game to give herself confidence. Um, but I think the 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 big thing about it really really was, you know, it's the last point that Natasha made, was finding ways to have enjoyment. Um, the British Grandmaster Keith Arkle said that, uh, yeah, you should really prepare as uh, as little as possible before the game it's all about feeling fresh as you get older and uh, and being in a good mood and uh, and enjoying the surroundings um, and we also talked um, uh, we, we looked a lot at, um, at how people prepare their opening repertory and we gave quite a few practical tips and suggested repertories actually for repertoires that will last your whole life and um, we looked at players like um, Sergei Tiviakov who um, uh, is not really a senior player a, but he's you know, sort of my age really so uh, well maybe I am a senior <laughs> player too actually but, uh, um, but he's actually played the same variation of the Scandinavian so e4 d5 e takes d5 queen takes d5 knight c3 queen d6 played it non-stop for uh, you know 12 or 13 years with astonishingly good results and we had a look at you know how did he do that and uh, you saw how clever he was at switching move orders at um uh, at playing typical positions that the computer assessed at uh, you know at minus 0.7 but then winning those you know uh, Natasha just pulled out some great statistics where essentially um in about you know three quarters of the game the computer assessed uh, Sergei's position after up move uh, uh, Ten or eleven at uh, my, you know zero point seven for white you know which is a big advantage. And yet he won a huge amount of those games. So you know playing openings that you know very well is seems to be you know a very good thing to do to uh, to have long lasting openings. And then we also looked yeah. at Pierre yeah, yeah. Cramling's yeah, openings as well, which were very very nice. And how she throughout the course of her career how she switched openings, recycled them, and uh, essentially was playing the same openings for uh, for thirty years, but still keeping them nice and fresh so uh, a lot of practical tips in there as well for building up your opening repertory
0: and if you think across the two books we also in each book had a chapter on the carlsbad porn structure yeah yeah and um and it's it's really funny they're just completely different strategies so one was based on english grandmaster keith Arkle and he's been playing this porn structure uh for 30 years 40 years or more playing it an awful long time and he really knows it inside out um your readers will be familiar with the pawn structure, I think, but it's it's where you've gone kind of C takes D5, E takes D5. So white has a kingside pawn majority, five pawns um, sort of on the D to H file, and then the A and B pawns. And black has just the four pawns um, and the um, A, B, C, D pawns, so not an E. And, uh, and white traditionally plays a minority attack in this position. And there's lots of... Um, there's, there's a whole strategy that Keith played involving minority attack, getting your knight round to D3 where it can um, control a weak F2 pawn and jump into F4, um, and stopping off queens at the right time as well and, and getting a, a favorable ending for white. So that's how Keith plays it. And then when we uh, leap forward to Game Changer... Then we looked at how Alpha Zero played it, and Alpha Zero played it in a completely different way. It was really fascinating, and Alpha did didn't tend to use the minority attack at all, and instead just went straight for the uh, kingside attack.
2: Of course, <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, yeah. I mean, the really great uh, Carlsbad game actually is. we um, got a, a special chapter on there. It's a, a game with Black, where um, I mean. In, in general you know if, if white's attacking on the queen side you'd expect black to attack on the king side but in practice that never seems to happen very much but uh, but actually that there's uh, the game in the Carlsbad chapter it's one of the um it's one of the yeah one of one of the one of the best ever actually games i've ever seen and uh, actually it's not one of the games in the original 210 so it's uh one of the games that um that uh, that well only we had seen before uh, before it's been before it's been published in the book
1: Okay, yeah, and and speaking of the Carlsbad chapter in Game Changer, Matthew, you mentioned in it that um, you had the most instructive five minutes of your life with Deveretsky, uh discussing the Carlsbad, so obviously uh, our, our listeners would
2: like to hear a bit more about that, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's a, an amazing experience, actually, because, um, um, I mean, actually, I haven't had very much coaching at all uh, relatively speaking during my life you know I, I had my last regular trainer when i was um probably just 14 and then afterwards i ended up uh, doing it by myself but um but um, a friend of mine steve giddings was working in um uh, in moscow and, uh, he, uh, he, chess, and uh, he, was, he he loves chess and he was he'd got into uh, you know the, the the moscow chess scene and he said you know i've, uh, I've i know a guy who knows doretsky you know w- would you like to do some training with him it, you know i, I could uh, try and try and do that and, um, yeah, of course, you know, fantastic. And um, I ended up uh, having two sessions of, of a week with, uh, with Doretsky. And, uh, I mean, he's a fantastic guy. I mean, when you think um that he'd worked with you know absolutely all the top players every single one you know and um and there i was you know an english guy i was a gm you know 25 uh, 50 or 60 or something but nothing special you know and yet the effort that he gave and you know the, the dedication and the encouragement was uh it was amazing i mean he was uh i think even more actually than you know than any technical stuff i learned from him which was you know fantastic as well it that 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 empathy and that enthusiasm was just the you know the most amazing thing you know it's a real a real fantastic human being um but anyway yeah i mean um we got to this Carlsbad structure and he said so what do you know about that and um well i mean as always you know i, I have this thing about you know never quite admitting i know nothing really and uh, <laughs> you know, i tried to look convincing but i didn't look very convincing and so he just said okay i'll explain and just in you know in five minutes you know he just got this this total overview of the structure. Now, what are the plans for White? Okay, B four, B five, the minority attack. But how can Black stop it? And uh, you know, he can play A six to uh, A six and B five to to block the queenside structure. He can go A five and then White plays A three and B four and then you leave it or you take it um, or you meet B when White pushes B five. You go C five. Um, you know, it's just uh, an amazing. Uh, range of um, of uh, of plans and everything and it just um i think that was um i, I 've used this uh, you know this, this way of thinking now for for a lot of other openings you know where um where we, we, I just realized you know how completely you could understand the position and capture all the plans and how amazingly useful that knowledge was and uh, well i mean I wrote a book. book that was back in nineteen ninety-eight, I think, ninety-nine. Yeah, on the Queen's Gambit, declined, and uh, you know that's the real centerpiece of the book. And actually, that's always the bit that people mention. They always say, uh, you know, oh, that was a fantastic chapter, but it was, you know, it wasn't mine. Right. It was Doretzky. Uh, I do mention that in the book, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that was that was uh, you know that was really, really fantastic, um, you know, and it really. Uh, um, but it was uh, you know it was an amazing uh, an amazing experience. I mean, I remember the first. The the very first time that it started, um, he always gives his students uh, a test, you know, about um, 10 or 15 positions. And um, you've got a very limited time to do the the puzzles, about 30 seconds. He just wanted to test your intuition. Um, and uh, and just see um, you know what move you want to play in this position, and some of them are tactical and some of them are positional. But um, so I think this one I had one minute for, and uh, you know I sort of uh, um, uh, looked at it, you know trying to find trying to find. and tr- did something on the king side or something, and he said, uh, "Kramnik uh, solved this in five seconds." Oh God! <laughs> when he was twelve, <laughs> right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that sort of um, that sort of set the tone. Really. You know, and, uh, I, you know, cause I, you know I, I sort of I sort of understood, you know, from that first moment, OK, this is going to be uh, this is going to be hard work. And um I mean, I've never I've never worked as hard as I did in those uh, in those two weeks. You know, you set you uh, these amazingly complex, um uh, complex uh, puzzles and I'd be, you know, I'd be working all night uh, at them. Wow, but um, but there was one. Uh, there's one thing that I'm super proud of, and um, it's uh, in one of his books. Um, he gives a, another set of ten exercises, which uh, which he gave to me as well, and uh, I didn't do badly on them. But there was one position where uh, I found a, a a plan that was uh, that nobody else had found, you know, and. Uh, And uh, um, because, um, actually, you were attacking on the queen side, but, well, in those days, I was a complete hacker. And I found some amazing little idea to transfer all my pieces to the king side and start attacking. And, uh, you know, it was, um, and he mentions me in the book, said, uh, Sadler found this plan, you know, it was really, uh, it was really excellent. Uh, That was, that's probably my my proudest moment of my life, I have to (laughs) say.
1: Well, you you've got some other achievements up there too, but that that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I just have one or two questions. Uh, uh more questions if you guys are okay with it. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Okay, I'll go fast. Um num- number one is uh listeners always like to hear um well actually um just trying to decide on an order. Um, yeah, we'll leave, we'll finish with chess books. I, first, I just want to ask Matthew. So we've been talking about uh, chess for life and about adult improvement. But as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, you're basically at your peak rating, and that's pretty rare. Uh, for I mean, with all due respect, I mean I, I think you're you're 44. So yep. uh, and you're working full time. So you and yourself, I mean, I'm sure writing that book uh, didn't hurt. But what what sort of uh, tricks have you developed to to play at an elite level uh while um not having as much time as most of your competitors to work on chess
2: um i think the the most important thing that i discovered actually um was that it's very important to do a little bit of chess every day so um um when i when i first uh, started playing again you know back in in 2010 after quite a long break from chess about nine years i think um I um, uh, oh what often happened was, you know, I, I played a tournament at the weekend and then I didn't look at anything uh, during the week. And then, you know, maybe I'd, I'd have a couple of weeks where I didn't play and I played again and it felt like I'd been away for months. And um, I, I, you know, I realized that, you know, big difference between a professional and an amateur is that a professional's always thinking about chess. I mean, even if you're doing other stuff, you know, the shopping or whatever, there's always moves ticking in the background. And, uh, you know, and suddenly whilst you're doing the shopping, you think, oh, my goodness, night b 5 refuse what mm-hmm. I've been looking at. Right. and you don't have that as an amateur because yeah you've got your job and you know there's so many other, other 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 calls on your on your time so um you know i just made the rule that you know 15 minutes every day on chess that was uh make sure all those um you know all those uh paths and patterns in your brain are, are kept active and that helped enormously um the other thing that i always tell people but nobody is impressed at all and uh and nobody likes the idea is that i play you know daily training games against um against stockfish actually on my uh, on my mobile phone yeah i saw so you, um,
1: you've written about that yeah
2: yeah i mean it's it's such a good training i mean as long as you you know you, you understand that you uh that, you, that you're going to lose you know i mean you've got to you've got to not mind losing at all you know but uh, but if you just accept that and then every game you just go in with the same attitude saying now finally i'm going to show stockfish that i can uh, that i can do this then i mean you learn an awful lot and um it also helps keep that that um feeling of playing making decisions you know um uh, that helps keep that in your brain because um i think the thing that disappears the, the quickest is um is that uh that feeling for uh that when you get to the game you've got to make decisions you've got to commit yourself you've got to be you know you've got to believe in yourself and uh and not spend uh, too much time doubting yourself and yeah. uh as an amateur, that's 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 the tricky part. So I think you know focusing on those things and uh, is you know is really the most uh, is really the most important thing. And the other thing is um, the one thing you know the only bad tournament I've really had since um, uh, since I came back playing was uh, in Vacanza. Funny enough, I played the C group in. 2012 i think and uh had you know a, a bad tournament and i just realized that um you know i can say it's fantastic tournament but it's if you're playing there in in the big tournaments then it's a real one for professionals you know because uh obviously you're you're you know you're in the dutch winter um at a seaside resort so it was pretty cold and pretty windy and a bit snowy as well and uh, there's nothing else but but chess for you you know you've got to be a complete chess nut to be there you know if um if you're going to be there for two and a half weeks and especially when you think that after that's my holiday for the year and then right. afterwards i go back to work yeah so um i realized then that i was you know that um that that was probably that was probably too serious and too professional for me and that um you know as an amateur i would play much better if i go to a place where um um where it's, it's less intensive chess where i can go to an art gallery you know and uh before the game and just uh see all that get in a great mood and then and then go to the game and uh, and actually, you know, two of the best tournaments I had Barcelona and um, and and Oslo when I played uh, open tournaments. You know, that was those those were places where I could just I found some great places to go to some uh, some art galleries, some some parks with uh, with sculptures, and just had a lovely time before the game. And in such a good mood, I played really well
1: yeah th- those are great cities that that makes sense and that that's great advice and inspiring stuff um do you so a player of your of your caliber playing against uh you call it small fish i think in the book playing yeah. against stockfish on your phone how often do you like what's your expected score against
2: it do you oh that i have to, i'd like to claim a non-disclosure agreement <laughs> <laughs> really. well i um, mean
1: i think uh, i think as you allude to no. people people saying you're crazy for doing it it's because they yeah. can't take the their ego no, can't uh, take uh, it i mean
2: uh, I, I lose virtually every game. I mean, okay. uh, maybe, wow. I, maybe I make um, I make one or or, or two draws. Uh, if I make one or two draws in ten, then I'm uh, you know I'm uh, I'm jumping up in my uh, train uh, train coupe and uh, putting my uh, my shirt <laughs> in my head and celebrating like a football player. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, but I get um, you know I get hammered an awful lot. But um, um, but that's great. You know, I mean, you're 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 uh, you're learning a lesson. You're stretching yourself, and uh, and it's also a lesson in um, you know because i mean i go full out yeah i mean i don't play i try and play my normal game i try and calculate if it plays a move uh and i think it's wrong um then i'm going to go into the tactical line and, and try and prove it and uh yeah i mean you, you learn a lot from that you really do but um but yeah i mean uh yeah you just mustn't get uh mustn't get depressed yeah i mean it's just uh it's just uh the computer you know the computer's not going to tell anyone you know it's uh no, yeah and, uh, and if you make naught out of 10, just remember you know, that I'm probably making exactly the same score. So uh, don't worry.
1: That, that's great advice. That's uh, that's inspiring stuff. Okay, so last thing before I let you guys go. Natasha, besides Chess for Life and Game Changer, do you have any other favorite chess books?
0: Oh, I, I grew up on, on Bobby Fischer and my 60 Memorable Games. That was always my favorite as a kid. Um, and uh, I was reading... I read um, Jennifer Shahady's book about women in chess um, recently, and um, and that was a lot of fun too. So I, I like like these days. I think I I do like the the ones with. Um, a bit of a human interest story as well as the chess. Or when, yeah. when I was a kid, I would, I would play through those, you know, the do you remember the informatus? And it, all it had was just game after game after game. And oh, I used yeah. to just play them, you know, in order from the start of the book and play through every one, which I used to enjoy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I like a little narrative with my chess book too. Um, what about you, Matthew? I mean, as as reviewer for New in Chess, you see almost everything. So it's probably a tough question, but do you have a few favorites?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, I've said it a few times, actually, it's a real golden age for uh, for chess publishing. So many fantastic books. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's a great book by, you know, Sam Shankland. Uh, what was it? Small Steps to Giant Improvement. You yeah. Know, with, uh, great fun. I mean, really enjoy that one. I mean, Gelfand as well had um, had uh, a great book on, uh, um, I think it's, um, what was it? It was Positional Chess or something like this. You know, um, there's a fantastic biography of it. Emmanuel Lasker, that came out by, um, you know, looking at all details of this, you know, great world champion's life. Um, it was an excellent book, amazingly, by, not amazingly, I'm sorry, I don't mean it like that, but uh, it's a Dutch uh, international master, I think, called Thomas Willemser, who... Uh, Wrote a sort of toolkit book for uh, for uh, for chess that was, you know, absolutely amazing. Uh, really, um, you know, really nice when a, a less known, a lesser known author, you know, uh, comes along and, and writes a book like that. Um, so, I mean, there is there is really, you know, loads and loads and loads. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, as a reviewer, I'm uh, I'm absolutely spoilt for choice. I really am.
1: Yeah. Well, and and you're doing those reviews for New in Chess is is one of the many things where. I wonder how you how you find the time, especially now that it's been revealed that you, you guys had this project going on as well. But but the chess world certainly appreciates it. So um, in, in closing, I don't know if... I mean, I know you guys are both on social media. I don't know if... Uh, like what your level of availability for anyone who would want to reach you beyond that. Should they just follow you on Twitter? Or what would be the best way uh, for people to keep up with what you guys are up to?
0: Yeah, we've got some... Um we, we're both on twitter uh we've got a facebook page about game changer and we put on so when, when we do events then we we put those on that page and uh, we're also doing a series of videos as well um so it's a game changer youtube channel okay
2: great yeah so... and it's um it's all stuff that's not in the book so it's all additional material and um you know lots of stuff about open- Openings, uh because we we didn't want to put we didn't want to make the, the book too opening heavy so there's some chapters on the openings and the overview but lots of uh, uh well amazing little little novelties and uh and ideas that alpha zero has come up with and also some middle game themes and uh yeah i mean uh, it's all supplementary material so um it's um it's not stuff uh, you'll find in the book so uh but uh, I think you, you once you've read the book you just really you'll you'll uh, you'll, you'll uh, yeah you you really enjoy watching the videos as well.
1: Yeah I I'll definitely I'm excited that there's going to be bonus content because the book is uh the book only, What's Your Appetite? So, so thanks, thanks for coming on. I know you guys have been super busy with, with your lives and a lot of media hits and stuff. So I really appreciate it. And, and listeners, uh, you guys are in for a treat when, when you read this book. So I'll, uh, I'll link to, I'll link to where to get it in the show description as well as everything else we talked about. And, uh, thank you so much, Matthew and Natasha. This was a lot of fun. Thanks
2: thank very you. much. Yeah.
1: Special thanks to Matthew Passy, the esteemed producer of Perpetual Chess. I also want to thank Geert Vandervault for supplying the intro music. And thanks to everyone who helped spread the word about the show, whether it be via social media, positive reviews on podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, or just telling a friend about the show. Every little bit helps the show grow consistently. But most of all, I want to thank people who chip in and help support the show financially. You guys have heard me say I put a lot of time and effort into this show between researching the guests, reading the books of the guests, lining up the guests, all the promotion online. It adds up to probably about five hours a week. I love the work, but it wouldn't be possible without financial support. So... Thank you most of all to Chessable.com, and I want to give thanks to the following individuals and entities for their generous support. Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Varenkulj, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Benjamin Handelman, Bill Moran, Brett howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, I am Carlos Perdomo of ChessAtlanta.com, Chad Hilton, Chad Oliver, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabrie, Christopher Woods, I am Christoph Zalicki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas of U.S. Chess, Daniel Naylor, Daniel D. Schaefer, Daniel Viney, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am Elect Donnie Ariel, Frank Tortores, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, I am Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, GM Jakob Agard of Quality Chess Publishing, James Banastia, James Millick, Jason Wollum, Jeff Anderson, Jennifer Valens of OffTheRook.com, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jernigan, WGM Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovyutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Laura Belyovsky, Lorraine Dore, Lucio Casada Silva, Matthew Passi, Martin Habish, Matthew Tedesco, my main man, Moonmaster9000, Nate Sotlin, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchek of DiplomatChess.com, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Ryan Stone, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, the Law Office of Stuart Katz, in case any of y'all are in legal trouble, uh, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Thomas Casper, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Ritella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouge, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and the last person in the alphabet, Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, everyone. I will catch you all next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.